Welcome to Nina, Hannah, and Emily in Paris, the show no one asked for about the show no one asked for. I am Nina. And I'm Hannah. Welcome to our out-of-office extended second season, where we do some deeper dives into Emily in Paris and the cultural conversation, the characters of the show, and also just how we're doing. In this episode, we're doing our second Emily Online episode, where we tackle a piece of commentary from the internet. It's going to be fun. Ready to dig into this piece from The New Yorker? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oui, oui, oui. Ah, oui, oui, oui. Ah, oui, oui, oui. Ah, oui, oui. My pleasure, my joy, my one divine light. Light. Beautiful. So you're recording in your new closet setup. We're going to see if it sounds better, if it's like too much, much too much. How do you like being in there? It's hot. I turned off my air conditioning, which might have been a mistake. Like to save money or like to be European? <laughs> I think <laughs> that's an honest same. question. <laughs> no, for, uh, for recording. Sorry, I give a shit about our audio quality. Oh, smart. so you don't hear the air conditioning. I closed the windows. For you told recording. Allie to shut the fuck up. No, but, I, like, but I did not. She's on her way home from work, and I was like, uh, well, I'm recording a podcast. And she goes, you do a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, people love it. Uh, so she'll be hanging on the porch. Nice. I'm really excited to talk about this article that you picked out for us today. Me too. I'm really excited. I think you had sent it to me originally uh, back in the day. Now, we're going to jump into it, but I just wanted to do a quick little temperature check of how you're doing. Um, Yeah, I mean, I already called you earlier today to to tell you, but... Well, pretend you didn't. No, I'm just going to like... <laughs> I, I, honestly, I think it bears repeating that I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm like, I've been getting really, really bad sleep, which was a new thing for me during the beginning of the pandemic. I had really, really bad sleep, and it caused me a ton of anxiety like every night around bedtime, and then I would have all this anxiety that I wouldn't get good sleep. And then I kind of think I've fixed it, I guess. And But now anytime that I have an, even one night where I don't sleep great, I get really nervous that it's going to be like another run of bad nights of sleep. Yeah. Sounds like anxiety. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Nia Schlesinger famously do, thinks, do thinks you have... can, quote, fix anxiety. <laughs> Well, I mean, literally, I'm like, maybe I should exercise. <laughs> it's like, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, that won't help me sleep better or feel good. Um, what could that do? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm very, very sleepy. But I had a very productive day of work, I got to say. So I'm like, I'm like feeling both. And I don't, I don't really have like big plans tonight. Like, I'm just going to watch a movie. So I'm like, it's not like I have to rally for anything besides this. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, takes a lot of energy. <laughs> yeah, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing pretty well. I think similarly I had a like productive day and I needed to have a productive day. but So I don't feel caught up. I feel like well on my way to being caught up with my work. Um, yeah, maybe not well on my way. On my way. On your way. I got to tell you, I'm sad that it's gray out tonight because or today because – this is the kind of night where I have no plans, and I've been really loving going to the beach when I have no plans. And it's, but it's a little nasty out. Yeah, it's, it's a little, it's, like uh, moist. Yeah, it's a little gloomy and moist. So I think I just need to lean in, and I think I'm just going to keep working tonight. I think I'm going to have one of those nights where it's like I leisurely do the things that I need to do. There's like no world where I would be like, yeah, work at night, grind, whatever, whatever. Like you know, except me. this world. That's right not now. how I do. <laughs> but I do like. I think every now and again, if you actually feel like it and it would actually feel better to do so, having a night where you like work, have a drink, order yeah. some food, mm -hmm. put some like TV on, your own on terms. your back. Yeah, it's like, I'll work. 
But I'm going to work how I like. I work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going <laughs> to do it my way. She blocked. did it my way. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, because I mentioned it right when we got on, I am drinking a tequila tonic. Yeah, respect it. Yeah, thank you. It's hey, almost, and it's almost five, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Let's worry the masses. Um, yeah, but I'm thrilled to be here with you, and I'm so excited because this is our second Emily Online okay. episode our fourth episode of our extended season. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> Catch up, people. This is the lingo, okay? So yeah, we had a second season. Now we have an extended second season. And then we have three different types of episodes that we cycle. And we are now... <laughs> Fans have like a Lord of the Rings type map of like the Emily in Paris universe. And they're like, they speak they speak this language. <laughs> it's French. <laughs> oh, it's French. So it's kind of fun because for this episode... I'm going to be leading you through an article this time. Um, you led me through one last time. I'm leading you through something I think that we actually briefly talked about in the when the first season was released because this is from November 16th, 2020, which feels like a Wait, lifetime what? ago in some ways. This article's from November 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So listeners may have heard of it because I think it was one of the bigger pieces that ran at the start of the first season. It's called It's Emily in Paris and the Rise of Ambient TV. By Kyle Chika. 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 He's like their he's like their tech beat contributor. Writes about tech, writes about algorithms, writes about humanity at the intersection of tech. Right. Oh, I should say here, if you want to go read the article, go read it. What's in our episode notes? Read it, read it, and then come back to the conversation. Otherwise, you get to just hear us summarize it and talk about it. And I want to know, Nina, how you received it, because I sent it to you to reread um, before we like dig into some things that I pulled. I want to know what you thought. Or what do you think? I thought it was great. And I thought it hit on something that is, like, such a moment that we're having of TV. And I think a moment we're having in, like, movies, specifically movies that are straight to streaming networks. I think I took this name from a friend of mine for this type of TV and movie. But it's, like, double screening, which is, like, something that, yeah, like, my girlfriend and I will do of just, like, what do you want to do tonight? I want a double screen, which is, like, I want to shop online while TV is on in the background. Mm-hmm. Or I want to, like, catch up on my texts while you're shopping online next to me. Like, mm-hmm. just, like, having screens around and having it kind of, like, wash over you and you don't really have to have your brain turned on. Probably unhealthy, but maybe We're not. We're not here to judge. Contrary to uh, the last... Yeah, contrary to what you might have believed. <laughs> but I think that's something, something that was interesting to me in this particular... Well, yeah, and and just... I thought this was a very well-written piece of commentary and like hit on something that is very of the now and of our generation. And I think that there was something interesting in terms of like just a funny little twist, which is that like we, because of doing the podcast, haven't consumed Emily in Paris this way because it's one of the show I probably watch with like the the most most wrapped attention to detail. (laughs) Like I'm taking notes while I watch it. Yeah, yeah. There's some irony. It was funny to have it be like, no one's really paying much attention. (laughs) Like, well, two girls in Chicago are. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, great. Well, then I'll, I'm going to, I'll jump in and do a little summary, but I'm glad to know that it, uh, it hit for you. It definitely hit for me. I'm going to read a paragraph that kind of summarizes what he's getting at. So. Kyle Cheka says, quote, 
In this and other recent programming, Netflix is pioneering a genre that I've come to think of as ambient television. It's, quote, as ignorable as it is interesting, as the musician Brian Eno wrote when he coined the term ambient music in the liner notes to his 1978 album, Ambient One, Music for Airports, a wash of slow melodic synth compositions. Ambient denotes something that you don't have to pay attention to in order to enjoy, but which is still seductive enough to be compelling if you choose to do so momentarily. Like gentle New Age soundscapes, Emily in Paris is soothing, slow, and relatively monotonous, the dramatic moments too predetermined to really be dramatic. Nothing bad ever happens to our heroine for long. The earlier era of prestige TV was predicated on shows with meta-narratives to be puzzled out and which merited deep analyses, read the day after watching. Here, there is nothing to figure out as prestige passes its peak. We're moving into the ambient era, which succumbs to, rather than competes with, your phone. I mean, beautifully written. Yeah. And I love, I, I just was laughing as I was reading it because of that thing of like, and which it used to merit deep analysis, read the day after watching. And, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, 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 except for us, who, to your point, who were like digging into it so hard. The one show that I think hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like, I don't smoke weed. And I think that there's a way that I've always been jealous of stoners and the mm-hmm. way that they can like do things ambiently. Mm-hmm. But like I kind of have a hard time doing like ambient things like even the tasks that I do to soothe myself are active yeah like I I have a really hard time accessing like the space of soothingness and tv shows like this like do what I think we does for a lot of people other people yeah kind of I think that's really well said and actually um when I think about the first year of the pandemic well so just to say right like he's right just remember he's writing November 2020 like ambience i think is just such an interesting to be thinking thing to be thinking about the way that languishing became a term that you know mm-hmm. we talked about in the pandemic mm-hmm. and how is that playing out now you know two plus years into this um mm-hmm. and i i will say that like i uh somewhat similarly to you i think i probably have consumed i have i know i have consumed more weed than you but i'm not pr- particularly prone to smoking weed it's not like the most it's not the most comfortable way for me to have an ambient experience. Mm-hmm. But when I was living with a partner who did, usually it was like when he needed to like come down, that's what he would do. And I would listen to Gilmore Girls in the background. Like yeah. that was so yeah. how we, Yeah, I, I feel like I have a very direct comparison to that of like, maybe in my head there was a difference, but really in the experience of it, I think like he's coming down from his day. He's like a little high and maybe watching TV. And I'm like cooking, checking my phone, and listening to Gilmore Girls in the background. And it's that same sort of, like, I need to be stimulated in a way that takes no effort or takes really little effort. And is something where I know for a fact that there won't be conflict. Yeah. Right. So he talks about ambient television as it relates to Emily in Paris, but also just, like, as a genre. He talks about, like, makeover TV shows, which I totally identify Mm -hmm. with. Like, I'll put on a fixer-upper in the background. Like, I'll do... And like I said, Gilmore Girls, like, just... Which is... I mean, I guess there's something to be said there. Like, Gilmore Girls is not ambient television, but because I know it so well, it can become that for me. Um, And to his point, like, Emily in Paris is, like, so simple in so many ways that, like, you don't Mm -hmm. have to have watched it many times for it to just be that, flat out to be that. But... He talks about it historically as well, as well. So he talks about like daytime television, how it's sort of a return. And he says, quote, mm-hmm. as with soaps and chores, the current flow of amb- ambient television provides a numbing backdrop to the rest of our digital consumption. Feeds of fragmented text, imagery, and video algorithmically sorted to be as product- 
provocative as possible. Ambience offers the increasingly rare possibility of disengagement while staring at a screen. And I think that's so interesting because I feel like in the pandemic, I've become so much more addicted to television, uh, not television, to screens, like in such a severe way. Mm-hmm. And I and you were you were saying like you know there, it's it's you casually mentioned that it like kind of feels unhealthy and I'm like yes at the same time it feels like it feels like uh, that thing like oh everybody needs a vice and it's like if you're gonna if mm-hmm. you're gonna if you're gonna have to be looking at a screen to feel any sense of okay because of the world making you addicted to screens this is a pretty innocuous way to do it or like a pretty. Yeah not harmful way but yeah. but but so and he's kind of getting to that but i there's sort of a criticism embedded in, in his article that i'm a little bit i'm like yes but also like what was the alternative like what i don't know how else to live and to be and he doesn't he's not that judgmental about it that's interesting yeah i i hear what you're saying of like a sense of i actually didn't feel judged not the way that are very judged yeah 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 i was gonna say in in comparison to the Haley naman neiman one this one felt much more like this is just kind of the moment that we're in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And less like we're melting our brains. Like I feel I really liked the comparison to like Chef's Table and like food documentaries, things where they're just kind of meditative mm-hmm. and using screens to like lull you. Like I agree. Like it does it does feel pretty innocuous mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Like and I think that I don't know who's who's to say what we'll find out is innocuous or not. Yeah, like, <laughs> I don't know, but but it does. I don't think of Emily in Paris as harmful. So yeah, I should say I didn't feel judged. I didn't feel judged pers- judged personally, but I think I felt defensive on behalf of Emily in Paris, which is as we have talked about Stockholm syndrome <laughs> because we spent so many hours caring about it. Yeah, and and I just was like the first line is I, I want to, like, dig into. So the first line of his article, I had jumped down. The first line is, quote, By the end of its second episode, I knew that Netflix's new series, Emily in Paris, was not a lighthearted romantic travelogue, but an artifact of contemporary dystopia. Yeah, I guess that's pretty critical. That's pretty critical. <laughs> but, it's, but, but, but to the point, it's, like, it's not critical. Like, Haley was, like, was, like, kind of, or Naaman was, like, pretty critical of, like, viewers. And this is so not that. This is, like, what the show itself yeah. is. And what I yeah. want to say to Kyle is... Why can't it be both? Why can't it be a lighthearted romantic travelogue and an artifact mm-hmm. of contemporary dystopia? Because I I actually think that if it had been and instead of but, call me an improviser who's obsessed with yes and. But like I think I think it's doing both. And I enjoy sure. talking about it being a romantic, lighthearted romantic travelogue with you, with the recognition that like we're in a dystopia and it is of this moment. Yeah. I also think that's like the Roxanne Gay, like bad feminist thing. Yeah. Where it's like you kind of like when you're women consuming art made for women or girls consuming art made for girls, like sometimes you don't really get a choice. So things have to be and. Yeah. And like, I don't know about, I don't know Kyle's, you know, life, life and identity, but, but I know that I'm much more practiced in accepting things as both Mm -hmm. lighthearted romantic things and artifacts of contemporary dystopia. For instance, every rom-com I, yeah. Or like people magazine or like, like, or I'm like, Yeah, but I love it, and, mm-hmm. and I was raised on it, and like, I gotta, I gotta take what I, I gotta take what's given to me sometimes, and just learn how to consume it in a different way, mm-hmm. right? Or learn how to consume it in a way that serves me. Yeah, and I, and I think we've evolved in how we consume the show over the course of the last two seasons. You and I. Sorry, I did cut you off. There. No, no, no. I, well, it's funny because the other thing I pulled, the other quote I pulled, is that 
He says, quote, if you want more drama, you can open Twitter to augment the experience or just leave the show on while cleaning the inevitable domestic messes of quarantine. And I will say that was my experience of it, of, of television during the pandemic was was that was literally cleaning up my home and listening to television. Or he says you can open Twitter, but in this case, jumping on Zoom with you to talk about it. And I think like, I think what's what's like an, an interesting question now is to be like, what do people do with ambient television? And like, it's not like it stops there. It's not like you consume something ambiently and it lives in a vacuum and you never talk about it. It's like you and your girlfriend watch reality TV, perhaps ambiently while double screening. Mm-hmm. And then you like talk mm-hmm. about it with your friends when you are in person six months later. Mm-hmm. And That's like, true. there's something less sinister about it. It creates a micro, yeah, it creates like a little microculture when we've been sort of robbed of our microcultures and like. Totally. Inside jokes and shared references and. Right. Well, and not to, not to be too meta about it, but the most DMs I got in the pandemic from people I wasn't already friends with were people who are like, like tertiary friends or, or, you know, people I like sort of knew acquaintances being like, I was really sad and living alone and putting on your podcast, among other podcasts, was like a deep comfort to me because I felt like I was talking with friends. And it's like, oh, there's also like an ambient, again, to be too meta, but there's also like an ambient consumption of conversation that happens. And like, I don't feel bad about being part of that if that's what you and I offer people. But also, I don't feel bad about that in my experience of listening to other podcasts, chat casts like that, where it's like, yeah, there's just an element of like, I want to be around people. I just want to be around people. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's. It's like parasocialism, yeah. which is, I feel like, usually applied to podcasts, but I do feel like there are some TV shows that create a sort of, I guess I know that parasocial, I wonder if ambient TV is the analog for parasocial relationships that people have with, like, celebrities and podcasters. Where it's, like, conflict-free. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, yeah. What are I'm curious, though, what are your other, not to pivot too far, or to make too much of a new tab, but I'm curious what your other um, ambient shows are, because you mentioned Gilmore Girls. Gilmore Girls is a big one. It's what I'm going, it's, I'm going through it right now. <laughs> I'm on the Logan, I'm in the Logan Rory uh, season. I was at your, when I was at your apartment last week. We put it on. You put <laughs> it on and you weren't in the room and I just kind of wandered in and then laid down on the couch and watched it for like an hour without you. <laughs> and I and I don't even know all the, like I don't know the show well enough to. <laughs> it's just it felt very ambient. Yeah, yeah. It was very, I was just like, great. <laughs> okay, sure. Um. So that and um, Friends is usually a big one for me. And Sex and the City, I think more recently, mm-hmm. has been one. And I know that's that's one for you, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sex and the City is probably my main one. But something I know is different between the two of us is that, like, I— and I think I told you this recently. I can't remember if it was you or my cousin or someone. But that I, I pretty much, now, since living alone— so since, yeah, I guess basically since March, I like pretty much always have something on in the background, which is really like, I've clocked that as a different, that's like a difference for me. That's like new and different. Um, mm-hmm. When I lived alone pre-pandemic, I don't think that was the way I lived. That's not my memory of it. Um, and now I like pretty much always need something in the background. It's also not the way I grew up as like a kid, you know, like people talk about like, growing up on television mm-hmm. and I like really didn't feel that way. I felt like I like sat down, watched Dawson's Creek with rapt mm-hmm. attention and then went and lived my life. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, right. You didn't really watch Dawson's Creek. You don't care. Not Dawson's Creek, <laughs> but with uh definitely with Sex and the City on the WB. So Sex and the City minus Samantha. <laughs> so sad. I did that with. Yeah. Very sad. And I just like I 
I would love to get to a place where I don't need that. Like, I don't, that's not a judgment. It's not really mm-hmm. me being critical of me or you or anybody else who needs that right now. But it's just like, it doesn't feel great to not be comfortable with silence. What about you? Where are you at with that stuff? You, you also live with someone. So probably less easy to just like pop something on. I, I live with someone and I don't have, I don't have a habit of watching TV on my computer. I think you're like the last millennial. Oh my God, that's your memoir, The Last Millennial. The Last Millennial. Like I kind of only watch, we only watch TV or movies or anything with the projector. So it's like a to-do to make it happen. So I think it's like so not a habit for me. Mm-hmm. And I think because so much of my job, which which I know this for you too, so I'm kind of curious, like since you work in audio. <laughs> I'm God's, yeah. <laughs> we're literally, I'm like, how do you do that? We're like, I can't, I often can't even listen to music because I'm mostly writing at work. Yeah, I can't do that. So I can't really have music on unless there aren't lyrics, like mm-hmm. it, unless I'm unless I can I'm at a place where I'm just editing mm-hmm. or whatever else. Mm-hmm. But if I'm actually like coming up with new things, I can't really have stuff in my head. Yeah. Um, but that said, I work really really well in like noisy spaces. Yeah, yeah, same. And like I've never lived alone, so like sometimes yes, I'm working home in silence only because I don't want to spend literally eight hours at a coffee shop. But I do have like a habit now of being at a coffee shop for like several hours in the morning or I'll go in the afternoon. And like, I love hearing the noise of the, like I, I'm the, my most productive and most settled when I have noise around me. Mm-hmm. And similarly when I co-work with you mm-hmm. or like with my last roommate, she was playing friends for like, like that was her ambient TV show. They would just be like on while cleaning the house. Like, and that to me is almost equivalent of silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. 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 So I do feel like while it's not TV, I do need like ambient stuff. Like I do need like the sound of stuff mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't love the feeling of being home alone with the silence around me, which is what a lot of my work days are. Yeah. It's definitely not my preferred space. I think what's so interesting about this article is that he's like, right. The things that I mentioned as my ambient TV they're things that I've seen a gazillion times. And so they they like move into the realm of ambient television. But the first time I watched them, they definitely were not. And I think it's interesting that he's basically saying that this show is being written to like be that immediately. Like upon release, you can consume it, you know, half watching. And that's like mm-hmm. enough. And I guess that's sort of that like dystopian capitalist thing where it's like, oh, the net networks or Netflix or streaming services understand that like people are returning to comfort because they, they're returning to shows they've seen a gazillion times because it's easy to follow because you know it. Let's just create something that's easy to follow to start with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that there's like a, he doesn't say this, but that there is like a loss there at the same time. Mm-hmm. We're generating so much content culturally that I'm like, well, you can go watch severance if you want to have to watch every minute that's of it. I, like, I'm like, then make something that captures my like <laughs> yeah yeah not not to not to say like I dare you or like the, I feel like that's so cynical and that's also not how I really like I think both of us do love to consume things that totally capture us yeah. and hold us wrapped but I but it feels totally different which I guess is what you're saying but it's like it's it also is nice that now they're making new things that we get to watch in the way where you're like ordering takeout yeah. while you watch it and you're sort of gossiping and you don't have to pause yeah yeah <laughs> like uh, and you still get will understand the memes the next day and like the things that are around it mm-hmm. that bolster it culturally feel as significant as the thing itself which yeah 
I mean, I'm, I'm really interested in the, in the concept. And I'm like, I think that something else I want to touch on before we, before we pause on the topic is like the genre of lighthearted romantic comedy feature film that's mm-hmm. having such a moment for the last like probably four, four years on like Netflix and Hulu. Right. I think this is maybe the area where I'm like trying to figure out how I feel about it. Cause it creates sort of a problem in my heart where like, I think that because now they're like ushering the, that genre of film to straight to streaming services, it's turning them into ambient films only. Mm-hmm. And we're not getting like beautifully written and yeah, nuanced. Like rich, like, yeah. No one is making, as far as what I can tell, and I do, and like we pay attention, like between the two of us, I think we'd know if there was like a great rom-com out. Yeah. And I think instead we're getting like pretty deeply forgettable, Mm -hmm. uninteresting, derivative, unfunny stuff. Well, and that's so interesting to think about like how TV and film are different in that like, like when I watch an ambient romantic film, I'm usually left feeling like pretty empty versus a television show where it's like, no, the idea is that I can play eight yeah. hours of it or I can play whatever. And it's like, I can't do that with a movie because I'm like, well, it's just an hour and a half and I like want to sit down and I want to watch it. And like mm-hmm. you and I just watched that um, rom-com about having a crush. What is it called? Crush. Oh, right. <laughs> And it was like, it was, it left us not feeling fed in any way where it was like, I have to pay, because it's a film, I need to pay attention to it enough. Like, I'm not gonna be able, these characters are not gonna like recur and remind me who they are for 10 episodes. Yes. It's gonna be a one, right, just one shot, an hour and a half to watch it. And it was, it felt like, yeah, yeah, eating like, I don't know, cotton candy that melts before it got to your mouth. It was just like, I don't even know what this is doing. This doesn't do anything for me. And we also know that like television shows are getting like pumped out way faster than films are. So it so you can have like Severance Family in Paris in the same year or whatever. But but to your point, it's like there aren't that many great rom com blockbusters that are ha- that are competing with the streaming service rom coms. And we, that's a genre that you and I both love and want there to be like really good stuff. And and I, and I think about um, Heartstopper, unbelievable. It hasn't come up yet. But I was, just, I was but don't don't worry. I've been thinking about it the whole time. <laughs> it's been top of mind. Where that is a television show, but it was so gratifying to watch. Like, it was so affirming. It was so beautiful. I watched it with like true attention to detail. I loved every second of it. I've rewatched it, but like sitting down and rewatching it, not listening to it. And I wonder if there's an element of like returning like it like the pendulum will swing you know my dad always says it's like the pendulum will always swing back and forth and like we are we actually going to like swing into a totally different direction of like non-ambient like super loving intentional um powerful yeah huge television shows like heartstopper that are well worth watching what they're doing with the set with the music with the acting with the directing well and i remember the first time that you told me about Heartstopper, you were like, it feels like being swaddled in like a warm blanket. Like it washes over you. Like the way you described it to me is almost how the description of ambient TV works. But Heartstopper is so lovingly felt mm-hmm. and detailed and like the acting is so beautiful. Like mm-hmm. there are just so many qualities to it that you can't help but give it all your attention. Like yeah. it really sucks you in. Yeah. You just happen to also feel really good during and after. Which is cool to know that you can do both. Yeah. So it doesn't feel gone. It's just not. Yeah, I know I interrupted the point that mm-hmm, you were making. Mm-hmm. But I just want to speak to the fact that there is a distinction there. Because because I had no impulse to distract myself 
from Heartstopper mm-hmm. by double screening. And it was absorbing instead of like lulling. Lulling, yeah, totally. Yeah. I think there's something, well, I was going to say queer about Heartstopper, um, the whole thing. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's all. Like how the two boys love each other. <laughs> okay, okay, shut up, shut up, shut up. No, but, uh, <laughs> but, okay, this is like a huge claim. I'll see if I stand by it after I finish it. Okay. There, for me, there feels to be like there's like a queer lesson in being like, actually, it can be both. It can be like aesthetically lulling the way that Emily in Paris is. It can be like over the top. Heartstopper is like over the top, beautiful and curated. That's not what high school looks like. It's not like there aren't like illustrations on the walls that are that beautifully done. The, it's not everything is not in blue and yellow and green. Like it's elevated aesthetically mm-hmm. in the way that I think these like ambient television shows are. Like, right. Mm -hmm. But it's also the characters are three-dimensional, which is different than the ambient television. But similar to the ambient television or TV shows, the stakes aren't super high. And to me, there's like sort of a a queer ethic. This is my big claim. A queer ethic beyond the queer storytelling, a queer ethics to a show like Heartstopper that's like, we can swaddle you in aesthetics. We can lower the stakes because the world is really fucking hard. You don't need to watch a show like Sever. You don't need to like, we don't need to make you feel things. You're feeling things all the time, like negative things. Yeah. But we can treat these characters with like respect, intention, and depth. And if we put that together, that's going to actually create the thing that uh, at least two and a half years into a pandemic, people are really hungry for. And that is different than Emily in Paris. And I love that. I love the show and I love talking about it with you, but that's not the feeling I get after watching an episode versus with Heartstopper. It was like, oh, wow, I don't feel, I don't feel more stressed about the world the way I don't feel more stressed about the world after watching Emily in Paris. But I do feel like a lot of like lovey. I feel swaddled. Yeah. Yeah. I feel full. I feel like cuddly, cozy. I mean, I feel like the, the task that the Heartstopper team feels like they set about was like, how do we make good feelings really, really interesting? Yeah. And it, they, like, did an amazing job. An ethical. <laughs> like, like, an ethical, like, yeah. you don't walk away feeling, like, ugh, like, the way that you can't, which, to his point, he talks about, like... Well, it doesn't, like, pander. So, somehow it it stays lifted from, yeah, pandering and being, like... It, like, panders uh, to the best the parts of Sa- you. Saccharin. Yeah, but it's... It doesn't pander, though. I feel like it just, like, serves the best parts of you. Mm. It's just, like... Mm. Like, I, I really felt like they they tackled everything in, like, such an elegant it's like it's like heartwarming but it's never trickly yeah whatever the word is yeah yeah saccharine i think you're right i mean well yeah 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 so i guess all to say watch hearts <laughs> this is now a heart for podcast i would literally it would just be two minutes of me being like i love it so much <laughs> yeah, they were all so cute. they're all so cute they're doing their best yeah. yeah yeah well thank you for talking with me Thanks for talking to me about this because one of my favorite things to do is to experience ambient television and also the world with you. I like working in a, tele- in a coffee shop with you, and I like watching television mindlessly with you. Me too. I also, I have to make one more point before we log Please. off. Which just occurred to me, which is that I also feel like while ambient television, like you do it sometimes when you're cleaning your apartment alone, whatever else, I also think it's a really common thing for like friends to do together. Do you think, wait, wait, follow up. Do you, <laughs> follow up. Um, like in, in recent history or like you feel that way, you felt that way as like a child or like a teenager, like this is like an old feeling, an old experience or it's newer for you. I think it's an old feeling. I don't know about childhood, but I feel like through college of just like a show's on and you like let it run and you're talking and it's maybe a show you're both familiar with. 
And I think that's something that's also really convenient about like sitcoms is like, you don't have to work very hard to know what's going on. So you can just hang out. Like it feels like art for roommates. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I will say I have not watched, rewatched Emily in Paris as like ambient television. I did it like once when I was doing dishes a few weeks or a few months ago and it really didn't work for me because for me, I'm so engaged in it. So thank you for being part of the reason that this ambient television show is actually one of the most engaging sources. Yeah, it's our must-watch. It's our peak TV. <laughs> it's our peak TV. Cool. Thank you, Kyle Chaka. Thank you, Kyle. You've been listening to Nina, Hannah, and Emily in Paris. If you enjoyed today's episode, let us know with an Apple review. We're trying this new format, and we want to hear your take. Um, we have a new review from June 13th um, yeah. from C. Susie, and it is one out of five stars. Do you want me to read it? Do you want to hear it? Do you feel okay reading it? Yeah, I'm ready. Go for it. Okay. Why podcast about a show that you think you're better than? (laughs) Good writing. An actress you dislike? And taking a fake show way too serious. And insulted that Chicago is represented negatively through a fake character. This is a fake show. It has nothing harmful about it. This podcast is way more (laughs) harmful. Sorry. This pod, this podcast is way more harmful. Yeah. Glad the hosts laugh with each other. That's nice. Glad the hosts laugh with each other, but they are not funny and don't <laughs> and, nice, and don't speak clearly. Oh, the first part's nice. Glad the hosts laugh with each other. It's sweet that they're glad. They're like, honestly, couldn't be me. So happy they're having fun. It's so hey. mean. It's like I'm glad at least they find themselves funny. It's so mean. I don't read we got that way. Harmful. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the difference between you and me, is you can find praise in that. <laughs> oh, sick. 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 Uh, and and the, I forgot to say that the title of the review was Skip This Podcast. Ooh. Ooh, it hurts. It hurts. So, you but, know, balance yeah, the score. If you love, if you it. love it. If you love Help the show. redeem us. T- tell them that we're not harmful. <laughs> uh, and, and until... <laughs> until we come back in a couple weeks with another episode... Subscribe, follow the show so you're notified when episodes come out. Leave a positive review to balance that out. We'll be back soon. We'll be back soon. And we're going to be back with a special character study episode that's going to be led by you. And I can't nice. wait to see who you're going to choose. I'm so excited. Ciao, Bella. Ciao. Ciao.